morning. Things are a little different, obviously, with the wedding. The, the layout of the auditorium is a little bit different. Sunday school classes are a little different. We've got some people out of town. Normally, I would be teaching over in the Fellowship Hall. Brother Humphrey's traveling, so um, I wouldn't be teaching in here, but I'm going to be teaching my Sunday school class, so all of you who are in Brother Humphrey's class, you just get to join in in my class, okay? And we've been teaching through, in my Sunday school class, we've been teaching through the ABCs of Christian growth. It's a, a new church member, new convert uh, Sunday school class that we've been going through. Um, you may have been saved for a long time. You may be doctrinally sound. It's never, ever wrong to be refreshed and rehearsed uh, in the doctrines of the Word of God. Amen? And so we apply our life to His Word. The truth of God always blesses our heart, re re reaffirms our faith, and sometimes we need some affirmation, some reaffirmation of things that we already know to be true, but that is part of life sometimes. And uh, it strengthens us and makes us better. And so... What we've been talking about in our Sunday school class is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to continue that. And if you're in my Sunday school class and you have your books today, uh, page 122 or something like that for you, uh, you can uh, continue uh, filling in as we go through the lesson. And the rest of you, you can uh, just listen or take notes or whatever you want to do. That'll be fine. But we're, we're talking about the return of the Lord, and we started this lesson by talking about how prophetic things, prophecy, future things, is something that really grips people these days. Like, people want to understand and know the unknown, right? And so prophecy seems to be one of those subjects that, that is, is gripping of, of people's attention. And it can get out of whack, actually. There's all kinds of things that people can get into. Like you can get into the weeds pretty, pretty quick. You start talking about numerology and you know, the numbers mean this and the numbers mean that. And then there's all these people who start to set dates for the return of the Lord. And, and the Bible tells us that, that if, 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 if that is what's happening, people are doing that. It's not of God. Because no man knoweth the day or the hour, the word of God says. And so there have been, there have been preachers throughout history who have set dates, you know, because of this and because of that. And then those dates have come and gone, and they look foolish. And they look like they cannot be trusted. And, and it's true that they can't, because they're not taking that from the Word of God. And so that is one of those subjects that is very gripping. But nonetheless, the Bible does have things to say, and, and, and much on prophecy, things concerning the future, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning his God's will for this world, concerning the Jews, all the above, okay? The one thing that as Christians that we ought to be looking for is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, something that hasn't happened yet, right? And we started this lesson by talking about uh, uh, things of the past, and what do we know of the past? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world the first time. He came uh, and was born of a virgin, uh, he, he lived a, a, a life as a man, uh, a perfect, sinless life. He gave his life. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. Uh, those are all things of the past. And we, we're concerning prophecy. Uh, how can we know and how can we trust that what we read that's coming in the future is actually going to be true? Well, partly because we can look back at what the word of God prophesied concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and how every single one of those things came true to the letter 
they came through, and they're facts of history now. And if we, can try, if we can see that God's word was faithful in the past concerning the former things, and they have come true to the letter, then we can also trust that what God's word says about the future things will also come to pass. Make sense? Okay, so that's what we've covered in our lesson so far. And then we talked about the promise that Jesus made himself concerning his coming. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And I want you to, to read with me, not out loud, you can just follow along. <laughs> but John 14 and verse 1. And note Jesus' words here. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to his disciples here. And he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. And why did he say that? Well, if you look contextually, Jesus has just told them that he's going away. He's going to die. Um, they had lived and they had followed Christ uh, for three years, three and a half years at this point. And they had ministered with the Lord and he was everything to them. And now he tells them, I'm going to die. And in their hearts, and he says, also, where I'm going, you can't go. He said that to them. And, and their question is like, why can't we go with you? Where you are, we want to be. And it begins to stir up trouble in their soul. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, there's an issue of faith and trust there that I think we can make all kinds of applications for. We have a hard time trusting and believing, at least I know I do. Uh, but we need to believe and we need to trust and our hearts can be all troubled with all kinds of things. And our thoughts can fill our minds and our hearts and what we really need to do is to go back to what we know is true and trust. Those are, those are lessons that are life lessons that I'm telling you I understand completely. And he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And so the, the promise that we're looking at here is that Jesus said, I will come again. Now question, is Jesus God? Do we believe that he is God himself? What does the Bible say concerning God and telling lies? God cannot lie. And if he's God and Jesus made a promise and he cannot lie, what does that tell us? It will happen. It will come true. Amen? Jesus said, I will come again. And so he makes this promise. And there's plenty of other scriptures uh, that, 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 can, that tell us this same truth. Um, in fact, let's just look at one or two others. There's lots, and I don't want to, uh, I need to get to the rest of the lesson uh, or move on in it. So let's just take a second. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Not only did Jesus himself say it, but the scriptures tell of it as well. And the scriptures are trustworthy because they're the words of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want you to look down with me to, um, let's see, let's read a couple of verses here. Let's go back to verse 22. 
Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Context is Old Testament sacrifices can never take away sin. They were patterns of the things in heaven. They were foreshadowing. They were foreshadowing of of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be uh, the sacrificial lamb for our sins, okay? And, and other things like that. And he says, then he says in verse 24, <clears throat> for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are, the figure, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's a reference to the Old Testament priest who would once a year would, walk, would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood, and would apply the blood to the mercy seat, he'd make atonement for the sins of the people. The high priest was the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year and not without blood. That was a pattern. It was a pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ who would take his own blood, and he's not entering into temples uh, made with hands, but into heaven itself in the very presence of God to offer his own blood, not to make atonement for sins, but to take away sin forever. There's a big difference there. And there's a study on atonement, which is a rolling over, and we won't get into all of that, but Jesus' blood is, is more perfect because it removes and takes away sin forever. I think it's a, that's a great study. But he says then, um, in verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundations of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as is it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Now notice verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so we know all of the things that Jesus did, and he, he offered himself, and, and, the, and the blood was shed, and, and salvation can be made for all men. All of that has come true. All of that has come to pass. This part then moves on and says that to those that look for him, he shall appear the second time, and that without sin. If all of those other things were true, this will also be true. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so that is the foundation and the basis for believing uh, concerning the, the future and concerning the Lord's return. We talked about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is in two stages. And this is, this is where, where, where people start to get off and, and, and the doctrine that people hold to starts to get a little skewed if we're not careful in what we understand and know from the scriptures. The second coming of the Lord, when, when Jesus Christ comes again, which he promised he would, is going to be in two stages. And we call, and what we, we kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I got to get that out of my throat. And we use these two stages to distinguish, uh, or phases, if you will, to distinguish some things doctrinally. And the first stage, if you want to call it that, is, is what we call the rapture. Okay? When the Lord Jesus Christ comes for the saints. The second stage we would call the revelation. 
when the Lord Jesus Christ comes with his saints, and then he's going to rule and reign in the millennium for a thousand years. Okay? And so we're going to try to break this down. So keep that in mind. Two stages, the rapture, the revelation. Okay? And we're going to try to break these down in our lessons. And the rapture, Christ coming for his saints, is the very next thing on God's prophetic calendar. Okay? The rapture. The rapture of the saints. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be really particular here in some words that I'm going to use. And I need, to make, I need to make this distinction. There's a lot of people who believe that it's the rapture of the church. Versus the rapture for all the saints of God. And there's a reason I'm making this distinction. Because there's a lot of people who believe in a universal invisible church. That once you're saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ. And all believers everywhere are part of the church. That is not true according to the word of God. All believers everywhere are part of the family of God. They're part of the kingdom of God, but it's not the same thing as the Lord's church. The church is a local New Testament body. And there's a way to get into it, to enter into it, that the Bible is very particular about. You've got to be saved. You've got to be scripturally baptized to be in the Lord's church. So when we say it's the rapture of the church, what we're implying is a universal, invisible thing. When in reality, if we're going to make it doctrinally a distinction here, it's the rapture of the saints. The Lord's coming for all of his own. Those that have died in the past and those that are currently living now. Okay, so I don't, we won't uh, dive deeper into that. Let's just continue with the lesson. So it's the rapture of the saints, and that is the next event on God's prophetic calendar. Now, the word rapture, it's not found in the Bible. Okay, so somebody might use that argument. Oh, that's not a word that's found in the Bible. That's true. It's a word that we have made, but the meaning of it absolutely is found in the Bible. And it means, the word rapture means to be caught up. That's what it means. And so uh, the meaning is certainly in the word of God. And let's look at a few passages that, that give us that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want, Seth, if you wouldn't mind reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 through 18. Caleb, would you please look up 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to read verses 51 and 52. And then we're also going to turn to Philippians chapter 20 and verses 20 and 21. Not chapter 20, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. You didn't know there was 20 chapters in Philippians, did you? Well, now you do. (laughs) Okay, Seth, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Seth, I want you to read verses 13 through 18.
All right, so you notice and you saw in, that, in there that we shall, will be caught up together in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air, right? That's the meaning of the word rapture, to be caught up. There's several great things in here that we could talk about. He, and, and Paul is talking to the, the church in Thessalonica, and there were some that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And there were some then who were, well, what happens then to those who've died before me, right? And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this concerning them which are asleep. It means those who've died. And don't sorrow as others who have no hope. And he's, the point he's making is that we're going to see them again. And so as a Christian, we don't have sorrow like others who don't have this hope in Jesus Christ. And he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He said, those that have died before you, if they're in Christ, they're going to be raised. God's going to bring them with him. And he says, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. There's the foundation for what I'm going to say. God cannot lie. Here's the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then... We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The scriptures are confirming that the rapture of all the saints of God, amen, even those that have died and those that are alive and remain, and we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, Caleb, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 51 and 52. <clears throat> All right, concerning the rapture again, but those that sleep, those that have died. What does it tell us about how quickly the rapture is going to happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, how long does it take you to blink your eye? It's going to be faster than that. So what does it tell us? Is the rapture going to be an instantaneous event? Absolutely. It's going to be uh, something that... that that uh, the world itself is not going to necessarily be able to see with their eye, but they're going to feel the effect. They're going to know it because the saints of God are going to be gone. Not only that, but that scripture teaches us that we're not going to be the same as we are now. We're going to have a glorified amen. Praise the Lord. Right. I've got too many aches and pains. I also got too many emotional and mental problems like those need to be fixed, too. Right. Praise the Lord. We're not going to be the same. We're going to be changed. We're not going to be the same as we are. The rapture uh, is not just for those that are alive, but all the saints of God and those who've gone on before. They're going to be raised incorruptible, the Bible says. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 3, okay? Philippians chapter 3, and look at verse 20. For our conversation, that word means lifestyle or our living. 
It's not uh, like we would use the word conversation today in our English language. We're having a conversation. We're talking. It means your life, your lifestyle, your living. Okay. He says for our, our, our life, our living is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. As a child of God, this tells us that our life, it's not about here and now. It's not about the temporal because our life is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. Uh, as a child of God, that's where it's important, not here and now. All of this is going to be done away with. All of this is going to come to an end. And the Bible tells us the world's going to burn up. We'll talk about that uh, in a future lesson uh, concerning these prophetic events, okay? Um, but all this is going to vanish away. Life is going to end on this earth as you, as you and I know it. Praise the Lord for the child of God. We know where our body's going to be. Amen. But it won't be the same body. This is a vile body. It's going to be changed like his glorious body. Amen. Praise the Lord. He says, but our conversation's in heaven. And then he says, from whence, notice that, also we look for the Savior. He's coming from heaven. He's coming back for his own. And is it something that's going to be announced? Is it something that's going to be announced for all? Everybody, everybody get ready. The Lord's coming today. No. Let's look, in, let's look in, in another portion of Scripture, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And look with me in verse 42. Josh McCandless, would you read? Matthew 24 and verse 42. Okay, could you read it again? Okay, I'm not going to ask you to read it again, but I want you to say it again in your mind. Watch. Why? Because you don't know the hour in which the Lord will come. Two applications here. One you might be here today and you're not saved. Your soul is not right with God. You don't know the moment that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. If you've heard the gospel before, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes and catches the saints away, there's no more chance for you to hear the gospel because you're saved. You need to make sure your soul is right with God now. This is the only chance you have. The other application is for the saints of God. Watch. Be ready. Live your life in terms of, hey, this is not my home. I'm waiting for my Savior. That's my home. I need to be ready for when he comes. Amen. How, do we, how are we ready for when the Lord comes? By loving and serving and growing and living with eternity in view, not a temporal viewpoint. But working for the fact that, hey, um, um, I want to please my Savior. I want to please my Master. When the Master comes, I want to be ready. And there's, 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 there's all kinds of messages and applications uh, in that for the child of God. 
But is your soul right with God? It better be. Because Lord's coming. But you don't know the hour. Could be today. Wouldn't that be glorious if it were today? What if it were today? There's a song we sing that says, what if it were today? So we learned some things that it, the rapture is for the saints, that it's something that's an instantaneous event, that all those who've died in Christ before us are also going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to receive a glorified body. We're not going to be the same. It's not, an inst- it's not uh, going to be announced for all the world. Everybody get ready, and how would we behave? If, okay, in three hours, Jesus is coming. We know it. How would we behave, right? Things would always be different. We would be thinking differently, wouldn't we? And so we have the admonition to watch and be ready because it could be. Um, And there's one other thing that we should look at because the question might be like, well, how come the Lord hasn't come yet? He promised he would, and we're going to believe that he will because all the other prophecies have come true. But why hasn't he come yet? Well, let's look in 2 Peter chapter 3, and it gives us the reason. And only the Lord knows the day and the hour and the time. But there is a reason. If we're still here, the Lord hasn't come yet. And the reason is, is given for us in the Word of God. Second Peter chapter 3. And I want you to go uh, to verse 3, and we'll read on from there. The Bible says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So you see the the mindset, the mentality here. Mockers. Oh, God hasn't come yet. He said he's, Jesus said he would, but he hasn't come. Where's the promise of his coming? You can't trust that. Mockers, right? Saying, where is the promise of his coming? And they they base it on the fact like, man, from, from history past are, you know, the spiritual fathers, they've all died, they've all gone, they all said the same thing. He still hasn't come. Right? Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So he says they're willingly ignorant of something. They're stupid on purpose. That's what I've heard one preacher say. There was a worldwide flood. And God judged the world with a worldwide flood because of the sin of man. That actually happened. That's historical fact. It's written in the in the the record of the earth. You can go see it. You can look at that evidence. But they don't want to believe that. And they deny it and they refuse it. And there's a reason they refuse it. Because if that is true, then the Bible is true, and what God says is true, and now I'm accountable to that God who said it, right? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to believe that. He says they're willingly ignorant of that. And he says, whereby the world then was, being overflowed with water, perished. There was the judgment of God. But now he transitions to verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, okay, so now he's present time. And notice this, he says, by the same word, the word of God, just like God said it was going to happen in Genesis, it did. He says, by the same word are kept in store 
reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, what promise is he talking about? And the word slack there means the Lord isn't flippant about his promises and so on. If God said something was going to happen, it will happen. It hasn't happened yet, but mark it down. It's going to because God's not slack concerning his promise like people are. But what promise is he talking about? The promise to judge the world again for sin. That promise. God promised it was going to happen. And he's not slack concerning that promise, as some men count slackness. And here's the reason why Jesus hasn't come again. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why the Lord hasn't come again? Because he's still calling men to repentance. You might be one of those. You're here today. God doesn't want to judge you for your sin. He wants to save you from it. And he's long-suffering to you. When you reject God, when you push God away, when you in your heart and mind say, I don't want to believe that, I don't want to submit to that, I don't want to be accountable to it, I want to live how I want to live. Well, God will let you do that, but know this, there's always consequences for the choices that we make. The consequence for the choice of rebellion and sin is the judgment of God ultimately. So God doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to come to repentance to save you from your sin. Because he's long-suffering. And he loves people. Amen? That's why God hasn't come yet. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. Because he's long-suffering. He's still calling men to repentance. I think that's a wonderful truth concerning the character of God. Amen? The Lord's coming again. He promised he would. He hasn't yet because he's waiting and calling men to repentance. And so the rapture, and we're not going to exhaustively cover all of that. We've got a lot more to go through. But you understand, it's the rapture, it's for the saints of God. Amen? Dead and alive. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's the first phase of the Lord's coming. What happens next, and we'll get to it in another lesson, after the catching away of the saints, the very next thing is the tribulation. The seven-year period of God's judgment. It's called Daniel's 70th week, and we'll talk about that in a future lesson. Okay? So there's the seven-year period of God judging the earth and the world for sin. After that is over, after seven years, and, and again, we'll look at Daniel's 70th week. We'll look at it right from the Word of God. You don't have to take my word for it. We will consider it. But after that seven-year period of tribulation comes the second phase of the Lord's return, and that's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's where Christ is coming with his saints. So first, the rapture. He's coming for his saints. And then secondly, he's coming with his saints. Let's look at that uh, in the scriptures, the second phase of the return of Christ. Go to Revelation chapter 19. 
Hopefully this is making sense to you. Revelation chapter 19 in verse, we're going to start in verse 11. And there's some things that I want you to note here in this passage uh, that Jesus, he's called, Jesus called some things, okay? In Revelation 19, I want you to look at verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. He's like, I don't know if you are like this, but when I read stuff like this, my mind starts to just imagine what it might look like and what it might be like. But here we find that Jesus is called faithful and true in verse 11. He's called faithful and true for a number of reasons. I love the true part, faithful, because he's always faithful uh, to his word, number one. He's always faithful to you and me. True, because he cannot lie, so the things that he said, we can confidently believe. He's also called the Word of God in verse 13. The very Word of God. And he's also called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, look at verse 14 again. Verse 14 says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Where, where are they following him? Well, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the second phase of his return where he's coming to this earth and he's going to place his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's coming to make war with the nations. He's got a sharp sword and out of his mouth is that sword. He's going to speak a word and the armies of the world are going to be destroyed. He's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness. He's going to rule with a rod of iron, the Bible says. So let's look at a couple of other passages of Scripture. Go to Jude, right before Revelation, so turn back here. Jude, and look at verse 14 and verse 15. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying... Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What does this verse tell us? A couple of things. The Lord is coming, number one. But he's coming with ten thousands of his saints, right? And we just read in Revelation 19 that the armies of heaven followed the Lord. To do what? Well, we know here that the Bible says to execute judgment upon all. 
and to convince all. What does that mean? It means that those who are deniers of God now cannot be deniers of God then. He's going to convince all, and no one's going to escape, and they're going to have to admit, and every knee will bow, the Bible says, to the glory of God the Father. You can bow now in your heart and your will to God and surrender your will to God now. But if you don't, someday you're going to bow the knee to God and face the judgment of God. That's the word of God. Those aren't the words of men. God cannot lie. The Bible says the Lord Jesus will return to the earth with 10,000s of his saints. We're coming with the Lord. Now, let's go over to Zechariah. Back in the Old Testament. And in my class, we learn the books of the Bible. So I know that my class is going to be able to find Zechariah right away. The rest of you, I'll just listen for the continual turning of pages. Zechariah chapter 14. And I want you to look in verse 1 with me. Zechariah 14 in verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley and half of the mountain shall removed toward the north and half of it toward the south. Now, what does this tell us about what's going to happen when Christ comes again and the saints of God are coming with him? Well, in the rapture, we noted that the Lord doesn't come all the way to the earth. Why? Because we're caught up to meet him in the air, right? So shall we ever be with the Lord. This says that when Jesus comes the second part of his coming, his feet are going to touch the ground. His feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. And there's going to there's going to be a, a great dividing of the mountain. And, the, and we also read that he's coming to execute judgment. In this, we find that he's calling all of the nations of the earth to gather against Jerusalem. And what we'll read about in a later lesson is something called the Battle of Armageddon where the Lord makes war with the nations of the world and how he defeats them before he sets up his kingdom. But what we want to make note of here is that when Jesus Christ returns in glory, he's going to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives. Now, let's go to another passage, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we need to understand something here. For the saints of God, the return of Christ is a glorious thing. But for the rest of the world, it's not so much. Not so much a glorious thing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
And I want you to note verse 7. The Bible says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And we did a study through 2 Thessalonians, I don't know, a year or two, two years ago. I don't know exactly when it was. We talked a lot about this. We live in a day where we can be troubled. And in Paul's day, when he wrote to the church of Thessalonica, they were experiencing persecution. Persecution for their faith. It was great persecution. And you can imagine uh, the, the troubled heart that it would cause. You know, we, we, we're, we're spoiled and blessed in the U.S. There's saints of God all over this world who experience persecution that we don't ever even imagine or know of. I think of our own missionary, Brother Noah George. He tells me the stories of dear ladies who leave Islam and come to know Jesus Christ, and they face persecution, even physical, to beatings and so on from their husbands simply because they claim the name of Jesus Christ. Pray for one lady, Sister Amani, right now. She loves the Lord. She's trying to be faithful to the Lord. Her husband's not saved. He hasn't physically abused her, but at this point, the extended family, who all know her profession of faith, uh, they're putting so much pressure on him to send her back to Syria alone because of her faith in Jesus Christ. That, we don't even know what that might mean. That might mean certain death for her. It's a prayer request that needs to, to be made that's urgent. But you know, I don't face that kind of persecution. But in Paul's day, they were. And he, so he says to him, and he's trying to comfort them, and he says, to you who are troubled, rest with us. Understand this. And he says, and he, why? When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, what's going to happen? Notice this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. For the saints of God, the return of Christ is a marvelous, wonderful thing. But those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of the world, it's a terrible thing. Because the judgment of God is coming down. You're going to be punished, he says, with everlasting destruction. That's annihilation. Although you're not going to cease to exist. No. He says you're going to be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power. That's going to be eternity in the lake of fire. What a terrible thing. And why is that? He says because they obeyed not the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is the fact that you're a sinner. God's going to judge your sin, but you don't have to experience the judgment. Jesus Christ paid your sin debt. What you need to do is repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to experience the judgment of God. You didn't obey the gospel. You didn't believe the Lord. You were stuck in your own pride. And now for all eternity, you're going to experience the judgment of God. In flaming fire. For the saints of God, it's a wonderful thing. 
for the rest of the world. It's just terrible. The revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to start to wrap things up here. And so the Bible says the revelation of Christ will be a time of divine vengeance and a time of destruction. So, what do we know about the return of Jesus Christ? Two phases, right? With coming for his saints, that's the rapture. All those who've uh, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have died before us, who are buried in the ground, we're not, those, and those of us who are alive and remain, we're not going to prevent or go before them. They're going to rise out of the grave with a glorified body. Then we are going to all be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it could be today, is your soul ready to meet the Lord? The second part is the revelation where Christ is coming with his saints and he's coming to make war and to come to judge the world. After that, after the battle of Armageddon, the Lord's going to set up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom. He's going to rule and reign in righteousness. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. We'll consider that too in all of our studies as we move forward in these sections. We'll consider each of these. Uh, but that's the timeline of the things on God's prophetic calendar. The very next thing is the rapture. That's what we're looking for. But people get caught up in looking for the Antichrist looking for all the signs, the signs of the times. And you know what? The signs of the times are there. But people want to know the mysteries of the Antichrist and all these things. But you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to look for the Antichrist. The Bible tells us to look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And then the Antichrist is going to be revealed for who he is. And so we're not looking for those things. We're to be watching and waiting and ready for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be looking for. And he's our hope, the hope of his glorious appearing. I've taught this to our class. Maybe you're not aware of what that word hope means. You know how we use the word hope in our English language? Hope is something like, oh, I'm not certain, but maybe, I hope so, maybe so. Oh, I'm just waiting, right? That's how we use the word hope. But that's not what the word means in our English Bible. The word means confident expectation. So when we're talking about the return of Christ, he's our glorious hope, our confident expectation, as if it's already happened. I know it's true. I'm just waiting for it. It's not a, oh, I hope so, maybe so, kind of a thing. It's a promise from God. And so the return of Christ is our glorious hope. We can mark it down. We can count on it just as sure as you're sitting here today, it's going to happen. Amen? The question is, are you ready? Is your soul ready? And then as a saint of God, are you living like you're ready? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God that is true. And we love you for who you are, and we love you for what you've promised to us. And Lord, I pray today that you would take the words of God uh, to Use them in the hearts of people today. There may be some who are not saved, not ready for the Lord's return. Lord, may their soul be made right with God today. And for the saints of God, may it challenge us in our thinking and the way that we live to be watching.
principle, I mean, he's there. Amen. All right. We'll be dismissed for about 15 minutes or so. Greet one.